This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. I'm David Schifrin, and today we've got a full panel discussion with four top healthcare marketing and communications leaders looking at navigating the C-suite. It's how marketing leaders and their teams can use their seat at the table to not just be the scribes for the organization, but to serve as strategic leaders and advisors. We've got Susan Alcorn of Council here at Girard, who previously spent time as Chief Communications Officer at Rochester Regional Health and Geisinger Health System. Beth Toll is the Vice President of Communications and Marketing at St. Luke's Health System in Idaho. Michael Connect is Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at RWJ Barnabas Health in New Jersey. And Gail Schweitzer is Vice President of Marketing and Corporate Communication at the University of Kansas Hospital. So this conversation is a prelude to a panel discussion the group will be having on Tuesday, May 17th at the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit in Salt Lake. And it's worth noting that here in this podcast, because of the format, the conversation is pretty straightforward and, you know, it's relaxed, but it's serious. The in-person panel will build on the ideas that we discuss here, but also include a lot of stories from Gail and Michael and Beth and Susan. Susan is moderating and leading the conversation. There will be interaction between the panelists and the attendees. Uh, it's an in-person, unrecorded environment. So the plan is to have a really open, freewheeling discussion. For more on that event, check out healthcarestrategy.com. And of course, as always, be sure to check out everything that we have going on at Gerard by going to gerardinc.com. That's J-A-R-R-A-R-D-I-N-C.com. So that's the housekeeping. With that, here's the good stuff. Hey, everyone. Well, thanks for your time. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I'd, I'd love to do something a little bit different here to kick us off. We're going to start with a lightning round. And I want to get a thought from each of you on the one thing that someone listening, what would you suggest they do to start the process of building the relationships and getting momentum around the ideas that we're about to talk about here in more in depth? So if someone just has you know three minutes to listen to the first part of this conversation, what do you want them to know? And let's see, I'm going to, I'm going to go around my screen here. Start with you, Gail. Yes. Go make a list of the executives with whom you need a stronger, deeper relationship in order to be successful. Love it. Michael? Invite yourself to meetings that you're not invited to. Oh, I love that. Beth? I have two. Never go to a meeting with a blank sheet of paper. Always start with questions. And always be prepared with some pretty creative questions to elicit the responses that get you the information that you need. Fantastic. Susan? Uh, I think that you should always, when you're having a conversation with someone, try to come up with mutual solutions that you both can live with or all can live with rather than just presenting problems. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, it's just a good way to kind of kick things off, get everybody primed for the conversation. So let's really dig in now. And Michael, uh, I'm going to start with you here. Just broadly speaking, if you would, set the stage, set the table, whatever metaphor you want to use for what you think about when it comes to navigating team dynamics. And, and again, most of this conversation, we're going to be focusing on working with executive colleagues, so certainly there, um, you know, but also team members who are in our same horizontal or even on our teams. What does it look like as you think day-to-day about navigating challenging team dynamics? Sure. Thanks, David. This topic, I think, is incredibly timely, uh, given what we're all coming out of with a pandemic. And I think that the team building that we all needed to occur successfully, really, that's what should have paid dividends over the past two and a half years. The fact that we've come together as a team under very difficult situations. We've seen our team members, whether it's our team above us, our colleagues, and or the teams you know, who report to us you know, in a very different light. You know, and I think that people... Uh, have 
come out of this pandemic, and I'm, I'm hoping that we're coming out, that we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, with what team dynamics can be. We've seen functional teams, and I think we've seen where the cracks in team dynamics have become fissures. I've heard reports from across the country when in speaking to my colleagues about things that really worked well and things that perhaps we could have some learnings from. So in focusing, I guess, chiefly on relationships and team building with my peers, certainly you know, the opportunity for people to understand the value that we bring to the table, I don't think that ever gets old. And it's an ongoing battle. And I'll use the word, I think, appropriately and specifically in that I think for those of us who have been in this business on the Marcom side in healthcare in particular for a long time, the fact that we, we know that we have to prove ourselves every day. And whether that's to uh, a COO, whether it's the CIO, whether it's the head of a hospital division, physicians. We're used to, to building those those partnerships. And, and my career, I, I thought I was going to be an operations guy. So, you know, I have an MBA in hospital administration. I was trained to be an ops person. And I thought coming out of school, that's what I would do. So my earliest jobs were in operations. And so I've tried to use those skills. Now that I'm on the marketing communications strategy, community partnerships, and being able to pull some of those experiences out of my background and using that in working with my teammates, I think that's added to an air of credibility. And I've run a cath lab, you know, I've overseen a dialysis unit, I've overseen some practice you know, applications. So having that as a point of, of reference and a common jumping off point really has helped with building those team dynamics in that we're not just coming at it from a, on a communication standpoint, we, we have those conversations around branding or graphics. And so I think if you bring that to a conversation and people get that, I think that sets the table really for an ongoing dialogue and, okay, how do we work together to achieve the goal, whatever the goal is? Yeah, Michael, let me jump in for a minute, because I think what you said about the collaboration is important and how we have come so far over the past year, two years, in difficult circumstances, and hopefully our relationships have been enhanced. But, you know, you are really lucky that you have that real operational experience. Many of us don't have that, but we've been sitting at the table for a really long time. And when you sit at that table, they call you and say, come and hear about our issue in the OR. We are learning every time we're sitting at the table. I think that one of the, the problems that we could have, though, is that we are learning it, but then we are told, go back and write about it. Instead of being additive and representing our communities, our patients, and our internal people, just because we haven't done the operation, we haven't been as lucky as you have, doesn't mean that we aren't as knowledgeable. And it would be really great for us to be able to build on the relationships we've garnered over the past few years and extend that respect a little bit further. Yeah, Susan, I think that's a great point. I think that's where we bring the voice of the customer you know, to the table. And we bring the voice of what, how is this going to play in the media? And I think some of those questions that, that whether it's a, a financial person, an ops person, a clinician, whatever the discipline around the table, they're not going to be using that lens. And I think when we can bring that, and you're right, regardless of our background, I know a lot of our colleagues came out of a journalism background, to bring that to the table and that inquisitive nature, that pulls those questions that they wouldn't think of top of mind. You know, the head of legal, who I have a great relationship with um, here, thankfully, and that spent years building, he gets the fact that at the end of the day, he's going he's gonna to give me guidance on what a statement could look like. 
But leadership knows that I'm here to make sure that relationship is right. And whether that means I'm taking the, our chief counsel's advice or I'm discarding it, they hold me accountable. And that's the support that, that hopefully we all get as we're doing our positions. But it's bringing those different lenses that people don't ordinarily think of. How is it going to play with a patient? How is it going to play with a family member? Or even the staff that aren't in the room? You know, how is it going to play from that? You know, one of the things I've seen is even when we go back and write about it, Susan, it's, it gives us the opportunity to work with operations on operational holes because we always find those when we write about something. It gives us the opportunity to say, okay, now here's a big gap. So what happens in the patient process here? And we've really used the opportunity during COVID to prove our value that when we sit and listen to something, we can actually pull things forward that they would not have thought of or, and wouldn't have planned for. That's a, that's really a great point. We are we're working through the process on paper. What I'm thinking about is communications leads should never underestimate the power of a question. You know, as we all point out, um, we might not be the subject matter expert on a particular point, but we can ask the questions that whatever the appropriate stakeholder audience is, they might be asking themselves. And I love this idea that through those questions, not only do we get the information we need to clearly communicate, but we can point out some of those holes in operations or some of those opportunities where we want to, to avoid a miss. Just the power of a question is an important thing that we do bring to the table, I think. Really interesting that you say that. I am one of those post, those journalism, those old journalism people, right? And I ask really hard questions. And I fear that people don't like those questions. It's like they get mad at the questioner. Susan, I think that happens to a lot of people. And I think that is all part of of really navigating the team dynamics, understanding how to ask the question, or maybe even right. who to plant the question with to ask. Um, Good point. Sometimes what I've realized is, if I ask that question, I'm going to be perceived as somebody who's trying to stir. But maybe I can work with our chief quality and safety officer, and maybe she can ask that question, it would be better coming from her. So I hate to be the person who's texting across the table, but if it's in the name of, of better processes or better communication, I will do that. We've all done it. And, and I think certainly <laughs> it varies from, from organization to organization and culture to culture. Over the past few years, we've been doing an HRO, a high reliability you know, organization journey. And one of the first tenets that we've taught people is to have a questioning attitude. And so we've all tried, and I'm seeing a lot of you know, affirmation from my other panelists here, that you know, by giving everybody the comfort and the power to ask those difficult questions, I, I think that certainly helped my team from a facility level. So if I've got a more junior level communications lead at one of our hospitals, we've got 14 hospitals in the system, not everybody has as many gray hairs as I, but by having a culture that facilitates and encourages, you know, asking those tough questions, that's helped some of my team members step up their game and earn that respect and have a more comfortable seat at that table. As I said, you know, everyone's coming in it from different perspectives and training. But if your culture supports a questioning attitude, that's going to make our job, I think, a lot easier. Not everybody has that. Not everyone executes on it. But giving that that freedom and that permission to ask those tough questions, we did, we then can, on the comm side, can just be sponges and soak it all up and then cobble it together into a way that, that we know is going to advance the cause. But what about, what about when we get, um, 
a telephone call from a specific department. Let's use HR as an example here, because that's one that we all work with very closely. And my experience over these many years is that often the HR people are the ones who say, here, we're doing a new benefit, write about it. I'd like to be able to say that I have developed a great relationship. Sometimes those relationships cannot be 100% wonderful. How do you become more than the message taker or the message carrier? Sometimes I think it, it really is in the approach. And even if the relationships aren't wonderful, starting with the question, help me understand what it is you're trying to accomplish, is always what I try to start with and what I tell my team. Because Susan, I think you're alluding to, sometimes the message or what they're handing you is way more tactical and not very strategic. And so in order to get to strategy, we have to think big picture first, but they're not seeing it. They just wanna get it done and here's the tactic that I had in mind for it. So I think starting with that, I do think it's challenging when the relationship isn't good and definitely brings home the reminder that we all have to be super intentional about developing relationships. Let me just challenge you a little bit sure. on that, Gail, because I think that at a senior level, we can have those relationships with our senior colleagues. But when it's the people <laughs> who work with us and they are vice president comes to an associate and says, I want you to run this the way it is, just do it. First of all, it's unfair to our staff people, but how do you advise them? I think from our perspective, I've tried to head that off at the pass before it gets to that point, wherever possible. And so for me, I've embedded my staff into, using this example, HR steering committee meetings. So one of my team members who works on internal communications is part of the monthly HR group. And so she's, when, we, when everyone was in person, she was in the room with all the other HR folks when they met and they were talking about the benefit changes. So it wasn't a okay, we're now done, hand it off to the internal comms you know, people to make it pretty and, and push it out by blast email. She's been part of that conversation all along. And so the tones are there. The in she's hearing the intent, even if the end product isn't exactly what the original intent is, that relationship has been built along the way. Now, the flip side of that is I know that she perhaps wastes a lot of time by sitting in conversations that aren't necessarily communications driven or a requirement. But I think the payoff when those conversations do come to, now let's communicate it, I, I view that as an investment of time. Michael, a couple things I would add to that. We do the same thing. And in addition, over time, we've actually allowed them to choose the person. Um, so be a part of the process to even, you know, as we're interviewing or bringing someone new on that we know is going to sit in that seat, we make them part of that process. And then the other thing that I'll just say is I also spend... Um, a, a bit of time on the back end. And in this particular example, Susan, it's great. I spend a lot of time on the back end coaching that employee and making sure that they're able to view this as a learning and growth experience and not as a, a you know, they're killing my soul kind of experience. <laughs> yeah. We've talked a lot about relationships at, at different levels. And, and I think we've covered a lot of this already here, but the, the second topic that we, we wanted to look at starting with you, Gail, is 
really that partnership and participation with and from the C-suite and how cracks in that relationship can prevent us from achieving our objectives as well as organizational objectives. And there's just a whole cascade of team dynamics that come when those executive relationships aren't quite as tight as they need to be. So um, tell us a little bit about what you were thinking as you wrote these notes. It occurred to me, you know, I had great relationships in the C-suite across my, my colleagues, even the senior leaders that I report to prior to the pandemic. But during the pandemic, those really got a lot stronger. And it's caused me to question, why is that? And lots of reasons. One was I was face-to-face with these people every day. I did not work remotely. And so I was seen as somebody who was rolling up her sleeves and in the trenches And there's a certain value to that. But I I really in questioning, why have we gotten to do so much more? Why why does there seem like there's such a higher level of trust now? And um, I think that, that if I could point back to one or two things, one would be we had conversations, really hard conversations, and many more on a daily basis than I ever would have, um, and I'm going to use a strong word, but than I ever would have demanded before. And so was part of it me just feeling empowered that communication is important enough at this point that I'm going to say, I need your time. The five of us need to sit down. We need to We need to come to alignment on this so that then we can do her work, our work. And I, I don't think if I had to question myself, like I said, there's lots of reasons But that was probably the thing that wasn't happening as frequently before. I was not being demanding of other people's time when in the end, it was really helping the organization, not just my team, but the entire organization. Do you think in the the Pascal, part of the issue was it was all about our ability to generate revenue and business versus now, I mean, you couldn't build business during the pandemic. What business were you going to build? It was more about communications and relationship building. And so our our role changed and we understand that the role changed. I think that is some of it. I think that we were always seen through a particular lens, not the lens that we look at ourselves through, but we were seen suddenly the piece of the organization that was going to help the community understand what was going on or the piece of the organization that was going to bring valuable information to our employees who were up front at the front end of the pandemic really panicking um, about safety. And, and so I think we were seen as not the go write about it people, but actually the, wow, these are people that that have many things of value, not just this one particular thing. I, I think I agree with Gail 100%. And I think the other added factor was that, and I'm not going to get political, but at the beginning of the pandemic, information, misinformation was rampant. And again, messages varied from state to state and locality. We all had a different you know, angle that we had to, to navigate to get to you know, what we think is a clinical truth. But in the absence of a unified and solid national message, and I know this program is more than just COVID, but I think it, it speaks a little bit to what Gail was just talking about. In the absence of communications and messaging that all of us nationally could point to and say, yes, that's exactly what we're all doing. 
because it was the Tower of Babel and we were all doing different things in our different locations, we had to, there was a, a vacuum for reliable, credible, science-based, whatever adjective you want to use, communications. And so I think we didn't have the opportunity to point to somebody else and say, yeah, what, what he or she saying is accurate. We had to take a, an even further and more frontline role in communicating what was going on. And, and I think that helped all of us earn a couple of stripes because we didn't have, and de depending on the state, you know, hospital associations, those kinds of things, you know, we're walking a line. And I think we had to be a little bit more aggressive as an industry and a, as a community resource uh, and communications drove that bus. And we tend to be flexible. Right. Comparatively speaking, the message changes from day to day. I think that we are trained to be able to pivot. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about even as we emerge from, whether it's we think about emerging from the pandemic or we think about just the transformations that are occurring in our industry, in our functions, it can be easy to sort of be comfortable in old ways of doing things, or maybe not old, maybe familiar ways of doing things. And one of the things that I've recognized is as you have new team dynamics or new team members join, Part of navigating that is not assuming that the relationship is there or not assuming that your track record or your ability to deliver on some of the things that we've talked about is evident to everyone. And as we have new ways of working, as we have to establish new work streams, as roles shift and change, for communicators to realize that we need to tend those relationships. And I love the saying, the best time to fix your roof is when the sun is shining. Don't wait until you're in crisis and needing to rely on that trust uh, to try and necessarily build it in that moment. Build those relationships, help create that understanding of the role, the function, the contribution that we can make, and really build those relationships so that they can be leaned on, either in the time of a quick decision or an urgent matter. So it's one of those reminders too that we just can't stay with what's familiar or what our previous track record was. But sometimes remember, we need to reestablish that with new team members and do that over time. Beth, I think it's a perfect segue into kind of this third point that we wanted to look at. Um, you just talked about tending the relationship. And, and throughout this conversation, we've talked about asking questions, preparing our, our colleagues, our team members. Gail used the phrase demanding the time. And all of those things, hopefully it's relatively straightforward, but hopefully isn't reality a lot of the time. <laughs> And so there's a lot of hard conversations in here. So Beth, talk a little bit about as you navigate all of these conversations and these different imperatives and frankly, just the interpersonal dynamics that take place on any team, how do you think about delivering feedback, delivering what we at Gerard call the kind truth and making this as seamless a, uh, a process as is ever possible when you've got one or more human beings in the room? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's important as communicators that we remember we oftentimes can fill a really unique role on whether it be an executive leadership team or even within the organization. Oftentimes we're not in the position to have a specific agenda or objective in a relationship. What we want is the success of the organization, right? We're, we're tending the brand, we're tending the reputation, all of those things. Oftentimes that puts us in a position to be observing the behaviors or the actions that actually contribute to that success. And so we can deliver 
feedback often or are frankly responsible to deliver feedback often if we see things that are getting in the way. And so as you think about a relationship with a colleague, that isn't always necessarily built on positive compliments. Sometimes relationships are built and trust is built when those colleagues know that they can count on you to provide that feedback, to be that extra set of eyes and ears to be that person that will tell them the kind truth if we're not necessarily aligning uh, with those objectives. As an example, if, if somebody in an organization has a, a, a major presentation, I'll choose a simple example, and they're practicing for that presentation and they're really wanting to deliver a, a clean message, a clear message, being a sounding board for that person, being the, the one that will be able to deliver that feedback that allows them to be successful and achieve the objective. Sometimes it's also the person that you have to come in after the meeting and say that decision isn't necessarily reflective of whether that be our culture or our values or whatever those types of things are. And having the courage and the confidence and ultimately the relationship to be able to deliver that news. To do that though isn't, and the kind truth is important and I like that reference because you really have to be thinking about the setting that you deliver that feedback. It's not something that you wanna take for granted where you deliver it. You want to make sure it's timely and really in the moment and in the context to have the effect. And then one of the things that I've learned over time, and I learned it because I didn't necessarily always do it this way, is present the person that you're sharing that feedback with a plan. In other words, if the example is that they came up a little short, help them out of that situation with a plan to help navigate to a better place. Or if you have a suggestion for how they could do something differently, provide that. So don't just give them the feedback, but also be prepared to provide them with some guidance and some suggestions about what their next steps might look like. So those are a few thoughts. I really like the fact that you put it in context. It's not just that you're walking in and saying you can do it better. It's It doesn't support the brand. It's not our culture, whatever, in a nice way, of course. But to put it in that context, it's not about you. Correct. It's really about helping them. Yes. And, and I think those points of feedback are also relatable, right? So that this person doesn't feel as though they're being judged, right, or critiqued. That's not helpful. But to really make it relatable and to share sort of the, the impact and the next step, and again, that sort of action plan to maybe get to a better place. Or the reverse is true. Kind truth can also be very positive. It can build confidence. It can really encourage somebody in a way that may be a skill or an opportunity that they don't fully realize. So the kind truth doesn't always have to be just constructive feedback. It can be really positive to really lift folks up and help them to even become more successful. So that's the other way to look at it. My boss is so smart. And she says something frequently that I, I think is, um, it, it just really brought to life for me something I just need to be mindful of, which is you can't fix what you can't see. And a lot of times we are as big picture thinkers, 100,000 foot view kind of people, we are able to see what's going on in a situation where maybe sometimes others aren't. And so without coming across as a know-it-all, I, I do think it's kind if the relationship is there 
to, to be able to just have a candid conversation with a coworker or someone on your team about, so this is what I see happening so that they can fix it. And um, if we're able to see it, being able to point it out is really helpful and, and it is kind. I, I think that's all very valid and supportive. And I think that the difference that, that we can bring as the communicators is focusing on how the message maybe was intended to be uh, sent and how it landed. And, and I think that gets to Beth's point of, you know, this isn't personal. I'm sure you, you meant X, you know, but as someone who was in the room or somebody who is the person that people confide in or react to, you know, over coffee afterwards, how did, the mes- how did your message land? That's certainly, I think, an approach that I've used, you know, and trying to sort of reframe. Uh, and I like your idea of giving them the plan, Beth, and giving them concrete examples of how to affect change for the next time. But it's that whole, what was the intent and what was the result of your word, of your message, of your delivery style? And I think keeping it around, it's almost of a process. It's not personal. It's, it's just how, what the mechanics were. And so we were sort of tinkering around with the, me- with the mechanism. We're not talking about you as an individual. I think that's by depersonalizing it in a personal way, if that even makes sense, you know, I think it gets us to a better result. And then let's face it, a lot of our time is spent cleaning up the messes, you know, of others. And so in the end, if we all do this effectively as communicators, there's going to be a lot less downside clean up an aisle 12, you know, that we're all going to have to do, whether it's internal communications or ex- God forbid, if it, all, it goes externally, that escalates the, the cleanup and the damage recovery to a whole new level. Yeah, Michael, I really like that. And one of the things that I've seen over time is that when you can have the courage, share that feedback, it, it is almost a reinforcing process because not only does it rebuild the relationship, but it causes your colleagues to pause even in advance of going out, maybe before they've either chatted with you or used you as a sounding board, whatever the, the tool is. What I find is that it, it starts to sort of create that environment, that relationship that really supports effective communication planning, execution, all of those things that we strive to do as communicators. So it, it, it's got that benefit too, I think. Well, I love the idea that it, that it will help develop a relationship so that we're brought in up front rather than looking at it and going, now you have to mend it at the back end, which is not comfortable for anybody. So again, right around to the purpose of this conversation, it's about how do we collaborate and partner with senior leaders and where is our value going to be going forward? Because it's not always crisis communication. Sometimes it's just the day-to-day, let's get it through. It's just the work that we have to do. Right. And, and in the end, to me, it's all about instilling trust and building trust. We do it with our with our communities, we do it with our staff. And, and so what we're talking about here is how to build that level of trust with, with our colleagues to be effective. Whatever definition of effective, you know, we wanna use in the moment or over the long term. But it's really about establishing that trust and making people feel comfortable and respect what it is that we do as communicators. Now, I just wanna be clear on something. We've really talked about the communications portion of our brain, but. Uh, I think we all also do marketing. And how do we expand that? It's not just about helping with scripting and crisis communications. It's also about our our marketing hats and developing those relationships so that we get the data that we need and the information that we need so we can make good marketing decisions. And so I just wanted, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. I'm glad you really brought that up because it's, I think that's an area that's even interesting because if you think about the infrastructure that's needed to do the modern marketing that we all strive to do, 
it isn't something that you bring in house necessarily and have it within even a marketing vertical. It requires you to reach out and collaborate with other aspects of the organization in a really significant way, whether it be data and analytics, consumer experience, name the different divisions. And so legal, um, from all of those aspects, I think I'm really glad you brought that up, Susan, because the marketing side of our work streams almost double down on everything that we've talked about today. And that ability to form those informal alliances, those productive relationships are essential to being able to execute effectively in a modern marketing enterprise. Fantastic. Great conversation, everyone. Thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun for me and um, excited to get this out there and looking forward to seeing everyone May 16th through 18th in Salt Lake. Woo!